Just to outdo Chelsea a little bit, I am in responsible for intros this week. Not only have I found more than one article, I have in fact found three topics that we need to cover. There better be one from 1993. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. It's one not topical. It's from 1848. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we'll talk about it like it just happened. One's about something ancient, but we'll get to that. I have an update on everybody's favorite British welfare queen, and that is, of course, British Andy, a.k.a. former royal, formerly known as Prince Andrew, or oh. Duke of... Well, I can't remember what he was Duke of. It doesn't matter, because it's not even anything that he's a Duke of anymore. No, no longer, so we don't need to remember it. But he has left the spotlight for what seems like the current media cycle, so... This year marks an unprecedented 70 years of queening for Andrew's mom, and none of the family wanted a media circus trial to overshadow her platinum jubilee. So behind the scenes, the royals have reportedly pleaded with the Duke to settle the case that Virginia Jufre has brought against him so that it does not go to trial. This is a mashup that I found of uh, about three different articles from CBC The Cut in Town and Country. They have settled Virginia Jufre's trial out of court with very little of it being publicly disclosed. I hate that. Yeah, but some things have. We know that she's getting money. We also know that British Andy had to provide a statement of regret for the prince's association with Epstein and that he has to make a financial donation to the Survivors of Sexual and Gender-Based Assault program that Virginia Jufre has been working on. Mm. But no numbers have actually been released. One lawyer, professor of law that they talked to, said that the fact that these elements even got out about the settlement have been kind of surprising, because usually, like, nothing comes out about the actual settlement out of court. Well, if there's a settlement, I guess, nothing's... You're not guilty, yeah. you're not anything. But this being in Britain, the tabloids have gone crazy with speculation over what was involved in this settlement. <laughs> so the sum of the settlement, which included a payment to Virginia Dufre, as well as a substantial donation to her victim's rights charity, was not being disclosed. But that hasn't prevented precise figures from being reported. The Daily Telegraph was first to declare that the amount exceeded 12 million pounds. Oh my god. Later, breaking this down to about 10 million pounds for Virginia and 2 million pounds for her charity. Elsewhere, legal experts have estimated the deal to be worth 10 million pounds and other reports have put the figure going to Virginia at more like 7.5 million pounds. No amounts have been confirmed by either parties though. She probably could have gone for more. You know what? I don't know for sure, just because I can't remember what the actual case was for, but the royals want this settled. Like they don't want it to be overshadowing them in a big year like this. Yeah. But this brings up the question, if it is anywhere near these numbers that are being speculated, where the hell is this money coming from? Taxpayers, of course. Maybe. So according to the New York Times, the Queen gives British Andy about £250,000 annually, and he also gets a supplement of an extra £20,000 for his Royal Navy pension from that time where he went to war and learned how to not sweat. That's it? Yep. That's all he gets? Yep. Annually, but... You would think it would be more. Yeah. He lives primarily at the Royal Lodge Windsor, where maintenance should be covered by the Crown. Even before he agreed to settle, Andrew sold a Swiss chalet he had bought for about $29 million, according to the Washington Post, but the sale went through only after he paid off the final $8 million installment of the sum late last year. Concluding a separate legal dispute, 
To many, the sale suggested the Duke needed extra cash to cover his legal bills, his love of luxury having long ago outpaced his income. The Telegraph speculates that the Queen could make a contribution from her private wealth, specifically from the Duchy of Lancaster, from which she, as the Duke of Lancaster, draws about $27 million per year. Whoa. And Forbes estimates she has about $500 million personally. The palace is naturally not saying whether the queen will get involved one way or another. It has never commented on the financial aspects of the Duke's private legal affairs and won't be now, reads a stern statement given to the people. However, they just called him the Duke and that is incorrect. That is very incorrect. And that is a statement from them. Don't they know it's Andy? Just British Andy, come on. <laughs> So that's the update on the Virginia Dufresne British Andy saga. That's crazy. I know just the people to get the confession. Okay, good. You're CMP, of course. <laughs> Let's send in Mr. Big. Now I got to share something with you for an update on our next story. I'm here. I thought you did. I thought you were my mind. Good morning. Good morning, Your Majesty. How are you? Well, as you can see, I can't move. Does she know where she is? Here. That was recorded on February 16th of 2022. Finally bringing into a close that she is dead. A close? Yeah, because she's very much alive. Okay. <laughs> I thought it meant it proves that she's dead. It definitely proves. Did you see her move? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't moving that much. Definitely weekended birdies. Okay, Okay. Well, so that's a quick update, but not the whole update, because the Queen also has COVID. Queen Elizabeth tested positive for COVID-19 on Sunday, February 20th, and is experiencing mild, cold-like symptoms, Buckingham Palace said, adding that the 95-year-old monarch would carry on working. The palace said the Queen would continue with light duties at Windsor Castle over the coming week, and she will continue to receive medical attention and will follow all the appropriate guidelines, the palace said in a statement. Both her eldest son, Prince Charles, and 74-year-old daughter-in-law, Kamala, Kamala, I can't remember how to say her name, Duchess of Cornwall, have also recently contracted COVID-19. Charles has since returned to work. That's been all over the news. Shortly after her diagnosis was made public, the Queen signed off on a congratulatory message to Great Britain's Olympic curling team commending them for their performance in Beijing. So it looks like the comedies were rightly continuing through the Christmas times and can rightly continue forth on BBC. Well, hopefully. And my last update, and I just had to add this in there because I didn't even know this guy existed. It's an Epstein associate who just committed suicide in prison. What? French modeling agent and close associate of the late U.S. financier and sex offender Jeffrey Epstein has been found dead in his prison cell in Paris. Jean-Luc Brunel was found hanged in his cell in La Sainte prison at 1 a.m. on Saturday, prosecutors told the BBC. The 76-year-old had been held for over a year as he was investigated on suspicions of rape of minors and trafficking of minors for sexual exploitation. Brunel has denied any wrongdoing. 
and sorry, I should say had. Brunel had denied any wrongdoing because he can no longer keep denying it. Yeah, he can't. Brunel's lawyer said he had been crushed by the allegations and blamed a media judicial system. Brunel co-founded French modeling agency Karen Models in 1977 and MC2 Models Management in the US with funding from Epstein. A frequent companion of Epstein, Brunel was considered key to the French probe into the alleged sexual exploitation of women and girls by the financier and his circle. Brunel's alleged victims spoke of their disappointment at the news of his death. Dutch former model Thesia Huysman, who has said Brunel drugged and raped her when she was 18, told the BBC it was frustrating that his alleged victims would never have their day in court. After more than two and a half years of fighting for justice since I reported Brunel in September of 2019, it's a huge disappointment he will never face a judge, she said. One of Epstein's main accusers, Virginia Jufre, who has alleged she had been forced into sex with Brunel, said his death had ended another chapter. She tweeted, I'm disappointed that I wasn't able to face him in a final trial to hold him accountable, but gratified that I was able to testify in person last year to keep him in prison. Yeah. So that's something that just kind of came out of left field. I didn't even know about this guy. No, neither did I. I guess there's probably like tons of people that we haven't heard about in regards to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, there are. But with that, everybody is now up to date on their topical news and we can get into this show. Let's do it. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, a show that is definitely a podcast. Don't worry about it. I'm worried now. Don't think about it. What are we doing here? Anyhow, (laughs) welcome to the show today. We are your hosts, Taylor and Chelsea. And today, you and I are both in for quite the treat. I am coming into this episode blind. Chelsea has done all the research and I don't even know the topic. This is the first time this has actually happened for me, so I'm quite curious to see what's going to happen. I'm just going to let you take it over from here. We're all going to be pleased. For this one, I did some soul searching deep down for what I wanted to do on this episode because I had full reign. I could do anything. And in that soul searching, I thought, what is something that's going to be fulfilling for both myself and Taylor and also for Journey to the Fringe? And the answer was right in front of me the whole time. For this topic, I was able to come up with a surprising amount of information to feed your souls. Without further ado, I present to you Dinosaur Ghosts. That's right. We've brought up Dinosaur Ghosts before, mostly in talking about hauntings and such. And the question always comes up, inevitably, if we see ghosts of humans, where are all the dinosaur ghosts? But what if there were dinosaur ghosts? What if we just had to change our thinking just a little bit about things we're already probably really familiar with and also things that you may not be so familiar with? Because dinosaur sightings are still alive and well to this day. I mean, we all obviously believe, well, I guess it's no, that dinosaurs have been extinct for a while, like a little bit. And I just so happen to think that some of these creatures that are being sighted are just so very elusive and not easily caught through what we think of as scientific means. A dinosaur ghost just seems to be the most perfectly fitting explanation. So let's get into some examples. Dinosaur ghosts. First dinosaur ghost we're going to talk about. Pterosaurs. The pea silent. <gasps> Pterosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> Which also, I think, does explain Thunderbirds fairly nicely, too. 
I and mayhaps, mayhaps, moth mm -hmm. persons. It could. I had to tailor this down, no pun intended, so no, much. No, I do that. <laughs> I had to edit it down so much because there's actually so much I could fit in here. It started with Thunderbirds included, and I took them out because I just wanted to stick with things that can be compared to dinosaurs, if not are cited as dinosaurs. And Thunderbirds, unfortunately, have feathers. And while dinosaurs whoa, whoa, whoa. had feathers. <laughs> yeah. The most current view of paleontologists is that dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah. And in fact, if you go on the Wikipedia page for the T-Rex, it is not what you would expect as the picture for it. Really? I'm going to look yeah. at that. I, I took Thunderbirds out because I just wanted to focus on pterodactyls and Thunderbirds. As I was going through the research, I just felt like they were a different category that just didn't fit into my episode today of Dinosaur Ghosts. So Thunderbirds can be covered in the future. Oh, never mind. They changed the photo. Now it's just stupid bones. <laughs> that's, that's their current photo. <laughs> They are not lying on that Tinder. <laughs> Pterosaurs are popular, to say the least, and they are still spotted all over the world to this day. And they go by very different, uh, a lot of different names. So we've got the Ropen in New Guinea, the Congomato in Africa, and then there's just a straight up pterodactyl for those who aren't creative with their making up words for these things. So wait, nobody calls it the pterodactyl? No, I don't think so. Well, that's just, that's Maybe bad PR. Yeah. I don't know that they have anyone for PR. These things are pretty much spotted flying over all over the place worldwide, including Indonesia, Australia, South America, Europe, North America. Nothing from China, though. China didn't come up at all. I was suspiciously quiet. Yeah, they were. <laughs> I didn't have a single dinosaur sighting from there. Okay, so to start with, just in case you need a refresher on the old pterosaurs slash pterodactyl, we're talking about a large winged lizard type creature, which to me sounds terrifying because I hate birds. And I must stress, it is not a bird. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's fleshier than a bird. It's a Come flying on. lizard. So it has two little legs and two big leathery wings composed of a leathery membrane that is stretched from the animal extremely long fourth finger to its body. This whole animal is disgusting. <laughs> I know that's a rather disturbing image. They were not related to birds, strangely enough, and they have long necks and large heads with long beaks and sharp teeth. The next guy, the Ropin, he also goes by Demon Flyer. He comes from New Guinea Island and is said to produce light. Yeah, exactly as you assume it. But... So it glows in the dark or like... Just like shoots beams of lasers from like it's, it's not genitals. exactly I don't know what dinosaurs do. I like the conclusions you're jumping to. I'll get to it. I can't remember. Okay. I don't <laughs> just think say yes and move on. I think it just lights up. Okay. I mean we all kinda assume that dinosaurs might glow in the dark. So there's also a chance that it just gets ideas and a literal like light bulb appears above its head. Well, I know for sure everywhere. it doesn't have a light bulb above his head. Okay. So the description for the Ropen is a little bit more basic than the pterodactyl, which is any featherless creature that flies in the southwest 
Pacific and has a tail length of more than 25% of its wingspan. So it's giant, nocturnal, and glows briefly at times, so at least you know it's coming. Okay, so it glows. Yeah. There we go. I knew it was in my nose. In all seriousness, mysterious flying lights are associated with the Ropen, which is odd. It mostly likes fish. However, according to some legends, it can have a tendency to be a grave robber. So that's the Ropen briefly. Quick question on that, and you probably don't have the research on it. Does it dig up bodies or is it just like people leave the body like... No, it digs up graves. Oh, okay. Because in this place, the graves, they don't dig them graves deep. So it likes to okay. steal, steal the bodies from the graves. Well, I know in some regions in Asia, it's further north, though. They do sky burials where they just let vultures and whatnot pick at the bodies to kind of return them to nature. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's kind of a Tibetan thing. If it's up north where it's cold, they couldn't probably bury them in the ground. Yeah. On to the Congamados. They're mostly concentrated in the area of the Congo, which is a popular destination for dinosaur ghosts, by the way. And they're described in being red in color with no feathers, with membranous wings like a bat spreading five or more feet, and with teeth in its huge beak teeth. What? Teeth in its huge beak. Yeah. That I probably I don't think it has teeth on its teeth. There's probably not teeth and teeth. That is freaky. No feathers. All the way down. The Kaoned people of the northwestern province of Zambia used to carry charms called Uchiwa Kongomato protect them at certain river crossings from the Congamato. Eyewitnesses who are shown an illustration of a pterodactyl are said to identify that as the Congamato. Its name literally means overturner of boats or breaker of boats or hater of boats. Just kidding, but they basically hate boats because they get them. Does Congo mean boat? No, it's spelled differently. K-O-N-G-A-M-A-T-O-S. Oh, okay, okay. I, you would say that the same, I'm pretty sure. In English, anyway. So, basically, in all seriousness, it attacks boats and canoes of natives who ventured too close to nearby rivers. There are historical reports of European explorers being attacked by large-winged creatures described like the Congamato, and a lot of them were actually wounded. And it is thought to mostly eat fish, however, it is also said to dig up graves and steal human corpses. So I don't know what, why the fuck that's a thing with these guys. That can't be a coincidence. No, that's kind of weird. I know, isn't it? So that's them. And those are those. And now for some sightings. So I'm going to start off with a pterosaur sighting. Reported to the Illustrated London News of February 9th, 1856. <laughs> We're going back a ways. We should have put this in the opener. It was reported that workmen digging a railway tunnel in France were digging through Jurassic-era limestone between St. Dizier and Nancy Lines. They disturbed a large boulder of limestone and it fell and split open. That's when a huge winged creature rolled out. The creature was described as livid black, which I'm assuming that means very black, with a long neck and sharp teeth. It looked like a bat and its skin was thick and oily. Gross. It fluttered its wings, let out a croaking noise, and it basically just dropped dead. But it was alive. Its wingspan was measured at 3.22 meters, which is 10 feet 7 inches, and a naturalist immediately recognized it as belonging to the genus Pterodactylus anus. Anus. 
and it matched the remains of known pterodactyl fossils. The limestone rock contained a precise mold of its body. So that's a weird one. Here's another short one. A report from a cemetery in Glasgow described a man-sized creature with bat wings which suddenly jumped vertically up into the air and cleared a 20-foot fence in a single movement. I just found that one creepy and plus there's a cemetery in it, so who knows what it was up What's to. What's the year on that one? I don't know. You always call out things where I don't know the things. Oh, I'm just curious because like spring Hill Jack is 1837. Really? Have you seen spring Jack? I think so. Because he kind of fits that description. I don't know. I Like, it doesn't specifically say pterodactyl. It came from a resource that I was using for pterodactyls, but it didn't specifically say. I just found it creepy. So in it went. Okay, another one. Several pterosaur-like creatures were spotted at Hasketh. Park, Southport, England in 1999. There you go. There's a year. According to claims. Ian Wharton of the Parks Department revealed how Clive Everson claimed to have seen a gray-skinned, bat-winged creature with a long beak and massive wingspan which rose up out of the bushes and flew away. Another one. In June of 2008, an English captain and Australian first officer, both former Navy pilots, were flying a small twin-engined plane near the end of a 700-mile flight from Broome, Australia to Bali, Indonesia, when the captain saw what appeared to be another plane approaching on a collision course. Yet he soon saw that it was no plane, but a huge flying creature. The captain put his plane into a dive, distracting the first officer from the map. The creature also went into a dive. What was it doing? A quick bank of the plane avoided the collision as the non-plane passed the window. Both men came up with the word pterodactyl, which meant that that's what they saw, by the way. They weren't just throwing out words. Doesn't mean they just invented the word. <laughs> so here I have a Congamato account, which was described in 1956 by engineer J.P.F. Brown near Lake, get ready, Bing Wellu. Bangwilu, Bangwilu, Zambia, and reported in the Bangwilu, Zambia, and reported in the April 2nd, 1957 Rhodesia Herald. Brown was driving back to Salisbury from a visit to Kasenga in Zaire. He stopped at a location called Fort Roseberry, Rosebury, just to the west of, <laughs> oh no, Lake Bangwilu. To get his canteen from the trunk. It was about 6 p.m. when he saw two creatures flying slowly and silently directly overhead. He observed that they looked like prehistoric with long tail and narrow head. He observed that they looked prehistoric with long tail and narrow head. He estimated a wingspan of about three to three and a half feet. One of them opened its mouth in which he saw a large number of pointed teeth. That's the end of that one. That one wasn't that big. I had trouble with like, that. Like, there's bats that are bigger than that. Yeah, which might be a possibility if that's what people are seeing. It also could be a dinosaur ghost. Maybe bats just are dinosaur ghosts. They've been misidentified. Yeah, they very well could be. Even more Congamato reports of such odd flying creatures come from the Awemba tribe. It claims they live in caves and cliffs near the source of the Great Zambezi River. In 1957, at a hospital at Fort Rosebury... The same location J.P.F. Brown had reported seeing strange flying creatures the year before. A patient came in with a severe wound in his chest. The doctor asked him what had happened and the native claimed that a great bird had attacked him in the Bangwilu swamps. When asked to sketch the bird, the native drew a picture of a creature that resembled a pterosaur. 
Now, I have another pterodactyl one. I'm all over the place. This witness had been studying to become a veterinary technician, reported in Whitcomb, an apparent pterosaur, this is in the United States, that she saw on Thursday, January 4, 2021, and sorry, Rayleigh, reported to Whitcomb. Okay, that was my source in Rayleigh. Oh my gosh. She was sure that the flying creature had no feathers, but it did have a long tail with a diamond-shaped bulb at the end of the tail. It also had a head crest. She also spotted the creature a week prior when Lee was taking an Uber ride to work and she saw the same crested creature out the window. The driver did not see it. Her recent sightings in Rayleigh weren't the first occasion someone in Cynthia's family had ever seen the apparent pterosaur. She told Whitcomb about a sighting many years earlier. My mother and uncle saw one too while they were playing outside my grandma's house when they were little. They told grandma but she didn't believe it. I thought they were extinct. Since she had seen for herself, however, Cynthia no longer believes that they are all extinct. So there are tons of pterosaur, pterodactyl, congamato, and that other guy. <laughs> sightings. There's tons of them. There's so many. I didn't realize that there was so many out there. I had to narrow it down with some sightings, but I saved the best for last, which is I'm going to give you all an incident which took place, which is the Van Meter visitor incident, which is speculated to be a pterosaur. In 1903, in the small town of Van Meter, Iowa, some strange events take place. Several respected members of the community recounted being terrorized by a mysterious wing creature over the course of several days. It was described as having large bat-like wings, left a terrible stench, and fired beams of light from its forehead. Yeah. I just saw that picture and I thought somebody was just, like, joking around. That's the Van Meter. Is that why you asked me about the beams of light? <laughs> Yeah. This is the Van Meter incident, and I'm looking at that picture right now. So a couple of witnesses described shooting at the creature, but it had no effect. And the re residents had enough of this creature. They banded together and chased the creature to the abandoned coal mine where they found two of them. They then opened fire on the creatures and they disappeared into the depths of the mine and they were never seen again. So yeah, oh. that's the Van Meter incident. The reason I'm sharing that with you is because it, if you see it, it looks like a pterodactyl, except it has a beam shooting out of its head. And I'll put this one on the social medias. If you're interested in pterodactyl sightings and other such creatures like those, there's tons of stories on the internet. There's also liveterosaurs.com, um, which has some eyewitness accounts. Um, you can even report them there if you so felt compelled to, re to report your sighting of a pterosaur there. I was just doing some quick looking at the Bangwelu swamps. Yeah. And there's a crane that lives there and it is anywhere from four foot ten to five foot nine. And it has a wingspan of uh, eight feet, six inches. Yeah. Basically all over the world, there's giant birds that can definitely be mistaken for these things, which is, I mean, not really why I took Thunderbirds out. So let's just forget that I even said that. Uh, these ones are specifically, I mean, if you see a pterodactyl, <laughs> a pterodactyl. Yeah, looks it's like, going to look distinct to a crane. <laughs> it kind of looks distinct unless it's really far off, in which case I could see not being able to identify it. Yeah, now, but a guy getting stabbed by a pterodactyl, I feel like, like it would be really close up. Yeah. The other thing that I was just going to say is that the purpose of this podcast is dinosaur ghosts, not misidentified pterodactyls. So in this instance, I'm going to say that these are pterosaurs who are reenacting the past <laughs> and they are long gone. Any thoughts 
other thoughts on pterodactyls? No, I find it interesting that no matter where you go, they do appear to be scavengers. Yeah, that's super strange, isn't it? I didn't yeah. come across any stories like that with pterodactyl sightings, but it's funny coming from New Guinea to Africa that they both kind of have the same characteristics of digging up graves. Yeah, and it's not like they're exactly like close regions. Yeah, it is scavenger, isn't it? Because it's going after something that's already dead, not alive. Yeah. Creepy. And I do believe for the most part, pterodactyls were believed to be scavengers when they were alive as well. Really? Yeah. I'd have to do some research again on that. But I remember watching a documentary about it and it was kind of the evolution of flight. Mm, I just lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was going to say about the pterodactyls. So that will bring us to my next point because I forgot my train of thought. Very nice transitional piece to the <laughs> next you. point. Next dinosaur ghost is Mokile Mbembe. <gasps> Mokile Mbembe. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> we're going to pack our bags and we're going to take a journey to the jungles of Central Africa. And we're going to go visit Mokile, whose name means blocker of rivers. M.M. is fairly old, not like dinosaur old, but he's been reported for more than two centuries by native fishermen, missionaries, and explorers. But, like, when I say not dinosaur old, I guess he could be dinosaur old, because I don't think eyewitness accounts go back, like, dinosaur old. No, there would be a significant break. Yeah, so he's been around for a while. He's a dinosaur ghost. Mokile has been spotted in the Congo, Cameroon, and Gabon, in and around the Congo River Basin, and is described as being a large brownish-gray quadrupedal, which means four legs. I got you. And herbivore. I like him already. He also has nice smooth skin and a long neck, a small head, long tail, rounded shaped footprints with three claws and one single tooth. Also possibly a horn or fancy frills on the back of his head depending on who you ask. He's about the size of an elephant. Wait, sorry, yeah. quick, quick. I gotta, I, depending on who you ask, are they fancy or not? Or are there just no frills? No. He may or may not have a horn. He may or may not have frills. I just call okay. them fancy. I'm assuming if you have frills, they are fancy. I was worried that some people said, yeah, you had frills. They were not fancy. <laughs> they looked really And shitty. that's actually where the <laughs> distinction is. No. I would be so okay. sad for him because if he had frills, like, I would imagine that would be like his like... Point of pride? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he'd be flipping them around. And everyone would be like, wow, those are so fancy. So he's about the size of an elephant and thought to be a small seropod dinosaur or an ap aptosaurus. He or she or they is most likely to be found hanging out in the water or caves along the Congo River Basin, which houses the largest swamp in the world, the Lakula Swamp. And the area is more than 80% unexplored. They also use the basin to connect to surrounding rivers, that being Mokiles. They mostly are only venturing on shore for food, and it's seemingly aggressive towards basically anything. While they're vegetarian, humans and vessels are doomed if they come close to it, and it is said that hippopotami and alligators will not be found in areas where M.M. inhabits because he also attacks them. And I'm going to revisit the vegetarianism for a quick sec, as his favorites include a preferred 
plants. It's a kind of liana with large white blossoms with a milky sap and apple-like fruits and the malambo plant. Strangely enough, mokele is also said to be poisonous. And that is not like he shoots venom, but it is said that a group of villagers once killed and ate one. And everyone who took part in the eating of Mokile died shortly after. So he's actually poisonous. He does not have venom. Well, he might have venom running through his veins. That story's literally on the Wikipedia page for Lake Chile, which is where apparently it happened. Really? Yeah, that's like the... It's a that's pretty so small funny. Wikipedia page. Or the lake? It is supposedly the spot where pygmies killed and ate one of the creatures <laughs> around 1959. It actually exists though, right? Why is that the crown glory of the lake? That's funny. Okay, just so we're all on the same page, Mokile is one of the most popular dinosaurs right now in 2022 as a modern day dinosaur. And while he has artwork done of him and footprints, I do have footprints here, but I don't want to screw this all up. I'll post them on social media. Actually, can I show it? Those oh, are wow. footprints. Those go deep. Yeah. Although they could also be just mini sinkholes. Like the way point. they just go straight in. <laughs> it could be. They kind of do, don't they? Not the other ones on the other side. I couldn't see the other one as well. But that one kind of just looks like a mini sinkhole. It does, actually. The other ones are better. They do have footprints. He's commonly known to just be a thing in the area that he inhabits. So there are very few eyewitness accounts that I could actually find that are written down. This is more like tribes are telling and he's just known and like feared by tribes. They didn't want to take the time, I guess, to recount their experiences with Mokile. But I do have one. Biologist Marcellin Agnagna is a trained scientist who officially reported seeing Mokile Mbembe. He said that on May 1st, 1983, he and members of his party came across a Mokile Mbembe in the Congo's remote Lake Tele. It had a wide back, a long neck, and a small head. The front of it was brown and its back appeared black. It was in the shallow water of the lake. Visible above the waterline was about 5 meters, which is 16 feet. Ignagna said it can be said with certainty that the animal we saw was Mokile Mbembe, that it was quite alive and furthermore that it is known to many inhabitants of the Likula region. End encounter. That's Mokile. We have any questions? And that was a biologist that saw that too, right? That was, yes. A scientist. Wow. Huh. And I like this one because, and I was disappointed I couldn't find more eyewitness accounts, but I get it. It's mostly natives that are seeing it in the area. So it's more just oral history of something that's just known to be in the area. I do like that there's footprints as well that you can find that look pretty decent. So yeah, he's, if you search just dinosaur in your Google, a live dinosaur, something like that, Mokile is going to come up. He's the most popular. Or if you actually search for that um, swamp. I found nothing on the yeah. swamp. I found a heck of a lot about Mokile. <laughs> yeah, that's his, the crown jewel of that swamp. He is more famous than the the nature reserve that he lives in yeah. it's probably the fancy frills <laughs> they're beautiful allegedly fancy okay so my next dinosaur ghost is the loch ness ghost monster i'm gonna put this one to dinosaur ghost the loch ness monster more affectionately known as nessie 
And for those of you who are not familiar with Nessie, he is of Scottish descent, calling Loch, which is Lake Ness, his home in the Scottish Highlands. Loch Ness is 56 square kilometers and is also deep and filled with caves, so lots of places for Nessie to hide if he were real or a ghost. The ghost option just gives him even more places to hide or disappear to. Nessie is described as a large being about 20-ish feet long, give or take, long neck, little paddle numbs her arms, stumpy legs, and a serpentine body with one plus humps which protrude from the water. During sightings, of course. Comparable to the plesiosaur, or a comparison has also been made to a basilosaurus, which is like a creepy whale shark dinosaur. It's super creepy if you Google it. Its head has been reported as horse-shaped or turtle-shaped. Some say it has a straggly mane down its back, a straggly mane down its neck, horns, and a crest. It has been spotted in and out of water, even stealing and eating sheep. Sightings of Nessie date back to the 500s AD, so he's super ancient and probably at least needs a cane or is bedridden or something by now. Just more evidence that he is a dinosaur ghost. No animal could survive that long. The more famous accounts of Nessie started happening after the 1933s, after, of course, 1933 specifically. <laughs> Prior to this, the lock was difficult to access until a new road was built and the sightings started pouring in. That year, there were 52 sightings of Nessie. These days, it's amounting to have been over 9,000 sightings, including the fakes. Sorry, I could not rule out the fakes on that one. So take the fakes as they are. Before I get to the sightings, I just want to give some honorable mentions of some ghost relatives of Nessie. So we got Champ, Lake Champlain Monster Champ in New York slash the Vermont border. We got Ogopogo in Kelowna, British Columbia, which is our local ghost lake dinosaur. Dinosaur ghost. <laughs> I forgot what this episode was called. Larry Asoro in Lake Como, Italy. Bessie in Lake Erie, in which is Canada, U.S. Van Gulu, Canavari in Lake Van Monster in Lake Van Turkey. Incan Yamba in Howick Falls, South Africa. Tahoe Tessie in Lake Tahoe. Flathead Lake Monster in Flathead Lake, Montana. Nahualito in Nahualhuapi Lake in Argentina. Messy in Lake Murray, South Carolina, and the list literally goes on and on, but you'll notice that dinosaur ghosts are literally in every lake. And yet still they can't get creative enough to not name them Nessie again. Yeah, they're not really creative, no. Messy and Bessie. <laughs> they're all named after the original. Okay, let's get to some sightings. 1934. There's actually some really good Nessie ones. 1934, Arthur Grant claimed to have almost ridden into the late Loch Ness monster on his motorbike in the night. He described the creature as having a long neck with oval-shaped eyes on its small head. That's not very nice. The creature's strong tail reached about 1.8 meters and was rounded at the end. In total, the creature was around six meters long. Second one, which is really short and pointless. The game warden for Loch Ness claimed to have seen the creature 18 times in the 47 years he worked there. He did not want to provide those accounts in what I wrote down. Unfortunately, he just wanted to say 18 times in 47 years. He probably did somewhere, but that's all I wrote down. I'm sorry. 
22 July 1933, when George Spicer and his wife saw a most extraordinary form of animal cross the road in front of their car. He described the creature as having a large body about 1.2 meters high and 8 meters long and a long, wavy, narrow neck, slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk and as long as the width of the road, which would be 3 to 4 meters. They saw no limbs. It lurched across the road toward the lock, which is about 20 meters away, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth in its wake. Spicer described it as the nearest approach to a dragon or prehistoric animal that I have ever seen in my life and as having a long neck which moved up and down in the manner of a scenic railway. The guy's quite the poet. He is. It had an animal in its mouth and had a body that was fairly big with a high back, but if there were any feet, they must have been of the web kind. And as for the tail, I cannot say as it moved so rapidly. And when we got to the spot, it had probably disappeared into the lock. So that was that sighting. It was a fairly detailed sighting. Huh. And I kind of expected these to be spaced out. Yeah, they all kind of seem to happen like as soon as they open that road. Nessie, I know. Nessie actually has some some of the best accounts out of all the dinosaur ghosts I'm going to talk about. Now, I do need to talk about this one before we get too far. Generally, when they started an episode of Scooby-Doo, it turned out that it was somebody who was already living in the area who definitely didn't want newcomers to come into the area because they had found gold and were shipping it around. Has that been ruled out in this situation? It probably hasn't. However, this, well, it did start in 1933. So those kind of people could still be around. So I'm going to say no. Okay. But because this is an episode for Dinosaur Ghosts, I'm going to say probably not likely. Okay. And if we do ever a Scooby-Doo episode, we could use it in favor of that. (laughs) You bring up a good point, though. Okay. Are we ready for another Nessie sighting? Yeah. January 5th, 1934. A year later. Motorcyclist Arthur Grant claimed to have nearly hit the creature while approaching Apriachan, near the northeastern end of the lock, at about 1 a.m. and a moonlit night, so that narrows it down. According to Grant, it had a small head attached to a long neck. The creature saw him and crossed the road back to the lock. Grant, a veterinary student, described it as a cross between a seal and a plesiosaur. He said he dismounted and followed it to the lock, but saw only ripples. <laughs> Grant produced a sketch of the creature that was examined by zoologist Maurice Burton, who stated it was consistent with the appearance and behavior of an otter. I wouldn't call this an otter. <laughs> I'm going to share my screen. <laughs> Literally. You see the otter? <laughs> I mean, the body kind of. I mean, I can. But see otters what don't really have necks. About. No, they don't have necks at all. Like I can kind of see if you're looking from the back without the neck. Like, yeah, that might be an otter. If somebody had only ever seen one other creature to, to compare this to, and it was an otter, yes, I can see the resemblance. I mean, yes, if you weren't looking at the head, I'll share that on social media, so you're in all in on it while you're watching as well. You don't have to like laugh along with us and not know what we're talking about. Just trust in our laughter. Please. Yeah, <laughs> just laugh. Okay, okay, I lied. Just laugh along with us. 
Like you're in on it. Okay, last one. Reported May 2nd, 1933. Another one. In the Inverness Courier, a large beast or whale-like fish, an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the lock while she and her husband John were driving on the A82 on the 15th of April, 1933. I feel like this animal was in distress if it was rolling in the water. Do they do that? Maybe just for fun. I don't know. We don't know what they do for fun. Rolls in the water. Yeah log rule <laughs> here's a quote from this person i don't think i said her name the creature disported itself rolling and plunging for a full minute its body resembling that of a whale and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron they're all poets soon however it disappeared in a boiling mass of foam both onlookers confessed that there is something uncanny about the whole thing for they realized that there was no ordinary denizen of the depths because apart from its enormous size the beast in taking the final plunge sent out waves that were big enough to have been caused by a passing steamer so that must mean big waves. That's Nessie. Tons of sightings on Nessie as well. I did use as a source LochNessSightings.com. They have a counter there of all the sightings that they've had. They have webcam photos. I don't know that they're good, um, but they do have <laughs> they do have photos on that website that you can good go and check out. <laughs> it doesn't really prove anything, but they're there if you wanted to check that out. Okay, next one is Caddy. Have you heard of Caddy? No. Okay, so I don't think Caddy is well known. Um, it should be more well known to us because Caddy calls the Pacific Northwest home all through the west coast of Canada and down even as low as San Francisco has had Caddy sightings. Okay, so I'm assuming it's an ocean creature then. It is an ocean creature, yeah. Not a lake, which is why it's not in Lake Dinosaur Ghosts. Caddy got its nickname from the Cadborosaurus, which the name is derived from Cadboro Bay on Vancouver Island and the Greek word saurus, like dinosaur, but it's not dinosaur, it's lizard or reptile. That's what you get when I do the episode. Cadborosaurus, we'll see, is said by me to be a potential dinosaur ghost. I wrote the episode, so I'm calling the shots. Witnesses described Caddy as resembling a serpent with vertical coils, which I'm not sure what a coil is and how it could be vertical. Do you know what a coil is? I, I'm guessing it's just the humps. Okay. I don't think it's going to be coiled like a spring. I, I think could that's get just that. the humps. That's what I think when somebody says coils. Like those mosquito things or like those old stoves that have the coils that heat up. Um, that's where my mind is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I that's how it presents itself. Occurring. Yeah, I didn't think they were naturally occurring on animals. Vertical coils or vertical humps in tandem behind the horse slash camel-like head and long hairy neck. Hairy. Oh, wait. I found a picture of it coiled up. Thanks. <laughs> okay. And of course, my favorite drawing. Yes. Who's that guy? I think he's he's <laughs> Is, is that him showing his reaction when he saw it? <laughs> That's the face the Cadbersaurus <laughs> gave me. <laughs> okay. Okay. The name reminds me of Cadbury chocolate. No, I want chocolate. Okay. Sorry, there's one more. Okay. Yeah. No, that's... Okay. I actually have this one in my notes. 
And okay. I found it really helpful because this is a picture of Caddy. You see it? And I couldn't see it in the picture until they put this <laughs> this image underneath of it. And then I was like, there it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you see it now? I've seen what things look like when they wash up on shore. And they're just an absolute mess. Okay. Like, it's hard. Generally, and... they're just thought of as like whale because nobody can really identify what they are, but they're long. Okay, yeah, because I thought I was looking at that sheet, and then I saw that drawing underneath, and I was like, there it is. Okay, I can see what we're looking at now. Okay, so Caddy has a horse-slash-camel-like head and a long, hairy neck, not fancy fanciness. Fancy, I can't remember what um, Mokili had. Long, hairy neck with a pair of small, elevated front flippers and either a pair of hind flippers or a pair of large webbed hind flippers fused to form a large fan-like tail region that provides powerful forward propulsion. It can be 40 to 70 feet long in length. Doctor, the, I like this one. This one seems legitimate. But in this episode, I'm talking about dinosaur ghosts, so it's probably a legitimate ghost of caddies that existed in the past. Dr. Paul LeBlanc, Director of Earth and Ocean Sciences at UBC, and Dr. Edward Blousefield, retired chief zoologist of the Canadian Museum of Nature, state every elongated animal has been put forward as an explanation for caddy. These animals include conger eels, humpback whales, elephant seals, ribbon or oarfish, basking sharks, and sea lions. Some of those I wouldn't call elongated, but okay. LeBlond and Blousefield state no known creature matches the characteristics found in over 200 sightings collected over a century. Noting that Caddy is described as having flippers both antillary and posteriorly. Sightings go back at least 80 plus years and there have been more than 300 of them as I just said, but I said 200. So let's get into some sightings of Caddy. The first reporting cited of Caddy was in 1933 by a Victoria lawyer and his wife on a cruise in their yacht. They described a horrible serpent with the head of a camel. The creature showed itself again in 1934 when two members of the provincial government reported seeing the creature the same description as the first. Later the same year, two fishermen saw two monsters in the bay, one about 60 feet long, the other half that size. A rather interesting sighting was made by two hunters as they tried to recover their wounded duck. The monster rose out of the water, swallowed the duck, snapped at some gulls, then submerged. They noted the six-foot-long head with saw-like teeth. The bay that this is named after, I believe, is the bay that Oak Bay is on in Victoria. Looks like it. Oh yeah, I've definitely been there. Yeah. There's a strip mall called Cadbro Bay Village. I've definitely been there. I yeah. went to school in Victoria, so I lived there for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's I know you can go hiking there and see orcas every now and then, too. Like, you're pretty close to wildlife in that area. Yeah, and ocean life, as orcas are in the sea. And so is Caddy. The remains of a three-meter juvenile Caddy have actually been found in the stomach of a whale. Let me tell you the story. And we just literally made fun of this photograph. A photograph of Caddy was obtained in 1937, so let me tell you the story of what we were laughing at. A whaling station in Vancouver just caught and killed a sperm whale in October of 1937. 
While removing the stomach contents at the Naden Harbor whaling station, they came across a 20-foot-long carcass of an unidentified creature. It had the head of a horse, a snake-like body, and a finned, spiny tail. A photograph was taken, but no one knows exactly what happened to its remains. No scientist can properly identify the creature in the photograph. It seems to have mammalian, mammalian, and reptilian traits. I've literally never heard that word before. Mammalian. Mammalian? Of of mammal nature? And reptilian traits. Which it is, no one is sure of. It is suggested that the creature is a zooglodon. But that explanation isn't 100% satisfactory, seeing that it is much slimmer and the head is shaped improperly. It's really cool looking, actually. It's super long with a tail. It's kind of draped over the boxes. It's obviously a corpse decomposed. But I'll put that on the social media as well. I'm definitely putting this one up with the drawing on it so people know what we're talking about in the picture because I was lost. Okay, another one of Caddy. 1939. We were heading north, not me, the people recounting the story, and about 30 miles offshore and saw this thing standing about four feet out of the water. Maybe just sticking its head out. I'm not sure he was standing there. Did the person who viewed this show the grin on its face? It was like a really weird look. So I headed over towards it and took a look at it. At first, I thought it looked like a polar bear with ruffles of hair. When we got right up alongside of it and the water was crystal clear... There was just this column of this thing going at least 40 feet and huge eyes. I had an old Newfoundlander as a mate and he said, do you see eyes on him? Mouth and nose, I have no collection of at all. Just those great big eyes. And the eyes seem to open from top to bottom. Did she describe her friend as a Newfoundlander? Yes. Okay, because I thought it was a dog. I would actually probably think Newfoundlander dog too, but he says, do you see the eyes on him? So I immediately thought someone from Newfoundland. Okay. As soon as it said that. But they would not say it so eloquently. (laughs) Yeah. All it would have said is woof, and then you would have said yes, shook your head yes. I agree. Yes. Okay, next, the Arica monster. This one's really cool. I hadn't heard of this one either. They're all pretty cool because they're dinosaurs. We're talking about dinosaurs that are supposed to be dead, yet there's sightings of them. Just to get you up on what we're talking about. They're ghosts. (laughs) Those of you who have just logged in (laughs) to the middle of a pre-recorded episode. Who knows what they're doing? They're listening to Journey to the Fringe. Thank you for listening. (laughs) To continue, the Arica monster is said to be large surviving member of the Dromaeosaurids. Dromaeosaurids. There's a lot of big words in this episode. I'm sorry. And foreign words to me. I'm doing my best. The Arica monster. Oh, it's a raptor. Yeah. You're giving away my notes. (laughs) Okay. It is a wrap. It inhabits the vast Atacama Desert of Chile in South America. They're giving away all the surprises. So I was like, what's a Dromaeosaurids? Let me tell you. It's described as that plus, well, the Eric Arica monster is described as the Dromaeosaurus and a kangaroo. And if you are like me and do not know what the Dromaeosauride dino is, which aka means running lizard, well, it is a small to medium-sized feathered two-legged carnivore, which goes by raptor, which was already spoiled for us. (laughs) So just pretend it's news for you now. You can be shocked twice, one when Taylor said it and once when I say it. I had no idea. 
It's just like a nickname, Raptor. Yeah, and you know, it's still carried over into like Birds of Prey today. Like hawks and falcons both fall under the category of raptors. Oh, I had no idea. I mean, I knew that they were sometimes called that, but I didn't know that's why. Okay. I actually don't know if there's any direct evolution to them or not. I just know they call them raptors, so I kind of assume. Well, these guys had wings, apparently. Yeah. Which they always said, but I was like, nah, they couldn't. But they do. If you Google it, they have wings. And this guy's also got to, quite the tail. Yeah, they're said to also like move like birds, which is weird and creepy. Maybe I just think it's weird because of like Jurassic Park. And that's how I think of raptors. So the Arica monster has descriptions of that as a raptor and a kangaroo. Various motorists driving the main road linking Aikiki, maybe? <laughs> Not sure. And Arika have reported a six-foot-tall, sharp-toothed, bipedal dinosaur crossing the road in front of them. Six it feet is... tall? Yeah. I thought the Dramiosaurus was this little guy. I don't know. This is one report, though, and I find in all these eyewitness reports, you'll get one that's probably, like, eight feet tall and one that's two feet tall. There's a lot of... Oh, no. Never mind. The Dramiosaurus is two meters tall. Or, sorry, two meters in length and 33 pounds in weight. But nothing about how tall it is. No. Okay. And it's got the fancy claw. The fancy claw? Yeah, like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Like yeah. the one big claw. That is fancy. It's been said that it has three toed footprints, characteristics of that of a primitive dinosaur, kangaroo, or even an emu. None of which are native to Chile. Okay, good. I didn't know. Yeah. There are many freaky encounters of this thing as well. Here's a couple. The Arica monster was first spotted at the Atacama Desert in Chile, 1980. Witnesses described a run-in with huge kangaroo-like bipedal monsters in the desert. The sightings have occurred by people who are traveling by car on different days through the remote roads that link the cities of Iquique? 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 Aikike, I think that's how you say it. Oh my gosh. And Arica through the Atacama Desert, some 2,000 kilometers north of Santiago, Chile. In 2004, several members of a large Spanish family saw what they described as a dog-faced kangaroo-like creature that surrounded their vehicle as they made their way home to Arica. That is scary. I don't know. Like, you could just keep going. It was a pack of them? Yeah. Jesus. I don't know what they were doing. Yeah stopped were they just like around them man we got all this fresh meat on us <laughs> just hauling it in the back this is a great plan <laughs> Through the desert. <laughs> a good time so it doesn't spoil yeah. <laughs> who doesn't do that by the way i mean you gotta take your meat it just somehow. naturally cooks in the back yeah next please don't one. listen to journey to the fringe for our cooking <laughs> advice <laughs> Don't write that we'll one do a different down. podcast if that's what you want. <laughs> a military officer named Hernan Cuevas said that he spotted two of the beasts while traveling with two other adults and two children in a vehicle. He was quoted as seeing a huge beast, much like a two-legged dinosaur with huge thighs. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that's funny. They described the animal as being exactly like the raptor from Jurassic Park. He had fat thighs. Fatter thighs. <laughs> I wonder if he was trying to compliment it or if he's like <laughs> insulting. I don't know. 
Um, drawn, sorry. I'm, I, I can't say I'm naturally drawn to an animal's thighs. So for him to comment on them, I feel like they were rather large. Yeah, and to the fact that he even said, like, outside of the thighs, it was exactly like the Jurassic Park ones, and this thing's covered in feathers. I've never, I've never watched like, Jurassic Park, you know. and I was never like, get a load of the thighs on that velociraptor. <laughs> <laughs> Are you seeing that? <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, okay, that is the Arica monster. Any questions? You're probably going to ask something I don't know the answer to. Um, why is this actually the only creature that we know anything about its thigh situation? I don't know. Mokile had fancy flaps. Potentially. Yeah, and, and I guess technically Caddy doesn't have thighs. No, no thighs, no kneecaps. Just like the snakes. The Arkham monster has huge thighs. They're thick thighs. Let's just leave it at that. We don't know if they're good or bad sized thighs. They could be nice. They could be nice thighs. We're not discriminating. We're hoping that he was not using that as an insult. That's actually interesting. I did not know about this Dromaeosaurus. And I was going to bring up, it's interesting that you don't really see carnivorous dinosaurs come up very often. Yeah. Um, I actually was just checking my work, making sure that I had enough, everything was good. In checking this, I was thinking the same thing. And then I was running through my list and this one came up and I had to add him because that's super cool. He's still spotted to this day and he looks like a velociraptor. That's terrifying. Well, yeah, and it's not even that old. And I did find it interesting outside of this last guy. There really seems to be a, a golden age of dinosaur ghosts in the 1930s. Yes. And which I would really like to know what's going on in the 30s that brought about all this dinosaur ghosting. It might have just been like the prime time, like they've been dead for so long. And then it started like developing more in the 30s. A little bit. Like roads are being built railways people are pissed off do you mean that we finally started digging into dinosaur graves and disturbing them but wouldn't that have come before the 1930s because we needed oil before that yeah but we didn't really truly take off until about world True. war ii so that's probably it huh <gasps> that's it's when we really started topic. using their bodies yeah oh my god this isn't even in my notes this just came naturally to us that's what caused it. I bet you we could draw a direct line between the uses of fossil fuels, oh. aka corpses of dinosaurs. Yeah. And to the presence of dinosaur ghosts. And they just keep on happening. And they're everywhere. They're in all the lakes. They're in most of the airspace. They're in the oceans. They're in the deserts. <laughs> With their thick thighs. They're <laughs> in the swamps. <laughs> They're everywhere. They're probably in China, too. They're just hiding yeah. dinosaur ghosts. They, they suspiciously don't talk about their dinosaur ghosts. Yeah, I was going to do dragons, but then I was like, I don't think those are dinosaur dinosaurs because dragons technically never existed. Well, I feel like we did. you can say that, but it's also the only creature that we don't believe uh, exists in the Chinese Zodiac. The rest are all uh, based on very real creatures. True. Ergo, dragons are real. Yeah. 
That's well, my they are. only argument. Yeah. We are going to have to do an episode on dragons. We will do an episode on dragons. Yeah. Also, it does tie in nicely with the start of the Nazis delve into the occult in the 30s. Do you think they, do you think they cast a spell? They accidentally raised dinosaur ghosts, yes. Well, they did destroy and take a lot of stuff out of libraries to which were never recovered. So they're including Tibet. Yeah, there might have been a lot of dinosaur ghost resources. Which is where Telpas. What they had destroyed and taken for their own knowledge. They may still have it. And in fact, then the Nazis went to South America. <gasps> and they have dinosaur ghosts there. Of course, they have dinosaur ghosts everywhere. So. <laughs> they are everywhere. Okay, so I'm going to... This is really original investigative work that we've been doing here. That kind of wraps up everyone that I was doing for the Dinosaur Ghost episode. I could have done so many tons of different creatures and sub-creatures within these, like the lake dinosaur ghosts and the pterodactyl dinosaur ghosts, and I can't even remember what else I was doing in there. <laughs> That's in the past. Those are the guys that you may or may not know about, but ought to know about or do know about, and that's good. And we've just enlightened you a little bit more about dinosaur ghosts. And to end off with, I obviously couldn't fit, like I said, everyone in this episode. So I'm going to give out a few honorable mentions as well for potential dinosaur ghosts. Get ready for some really good pronunciation on my behalf. This could be a future episode. I'm not sure on them. I'm not sure how much further we can take dinosaur ghosts. But, okay, here's my list. Bronjor. Is a large lizard which has been sighted throughout New South Wales, Arnhem Land, and Cape York Peninsula. Some people have suggested that it is some sort of theropod dinosaur or a parenty or a surviving Bigelania. Next one, the Emila Ntuka is a large cryptid which, according to African mythology, lives in Central Africa. It is the size of an African bush elephant, possesses a large keratin horn, a short stocky body, and is semi-aquatic. Some cryptozoologists have suggested that the Emila Ntuka is a ceratopsian, such as Centrosaurus or Monoclonius, even though there is no record of African ceratopsians or even a type of semi-aquatic rhinoceros. Mbilu, Mbilu, Mbilu. I like that name. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. It's supposedly a Kentrosaurus-like creature living in the Republic of the Congo. It is herbivorous, aquatic, and has algae growing on its back planks. Mahuru is a Stegosaurus. This guy was almost close to being put into the episode. A stegosaurus-like cryptid apparently living in Kenya. According to local legend, it possesses a thick body armor, large back plates, and a tail club. Many people believe that Muhuru is a possible descent of stegosaurus. However, no stegosaur ever had body armor or a tail club. I've been lied to. I'm pretty sure when I learned about them, they had a tail club. No, I'm pretty sure that's the Ankylosaurus. That sounds like a herd name. He was very close to being in this episode, the Mahuru. Next guy, Ngubu, is a ceratopsian-like animal reportedly living in the savanna region of Cameroon. 
According to local pygmy tribes, the creature possesses six horns, often battles elephants for territory, despite only being the size of an ox. William Gibbons identified the animal as a Styracosaurus. Styracosaurus, that sounds right. Even though the dinosaur genus only existed in North America. Next one, Naguma Monene is, according to African village folklore, a large lizard-like animal with a serrated ridge running down its back. Some cryptozoologists have suggested that the creature may be a Suchomimus or a Spinosaurus or even a Dimitridon. So, obviously, if you go searching on the internet, I was blown away. Usually when we're doing our research, I can find very little research and really have to specify what I'm looking for to be able to find anything. This, if you just search dinosaur sightings, a plethora of information comes up. There's obviously a lot of sightings still happening. My takeaway from this episodes are obviously that we don't have a freakish amount of real dinosaurs walking around that we can't seem to get real or non-blurry pictures of or actual scientific evidence of. So I just feel like dinosaur ghost explains the presence of these creatures perfectly. Right? Like Ogopogo, we can't get a picture of him. Sometimes it's a moose. But if we put it in the context of dinosaur ghosts, it perfectly makes sense there's no pictures of ghosts yeah but it also doesn't necessarily perfectly line up with the residual haunting either as like the Loch Ness monster that was seen eating sheep yeah which it likely wasn't doing in the dinosaur days it could probably fit into a couple of them um because we're using their ground up bodies as oil and they're pissed second you're right. Some of them are eating animals and digging up grace, so I can't exactly... We're pecking at humans. Yeah, I can't... <laughs> injuring humans and sending them to the hospital. Working out their thighs. <laughs> They're ripped. I can't exactly... They didn't skip leg day. I can't exactly explain those away for dinosaur ghosts. Unfortunately, I should have just left it out of the episode, so it was more biased towards my... <laughs> <laughs> But forget all of the stuff that I said that doesn't line up with my theory. Yeah. So those are dinosaur ghosts. And my second takeaway from this is that Africa is extremely haunted by dinosaurs. Yeah. Like just riddled with dinosaurs and ghosts. Riddled with dinosaurs right now. Um, they don't even know what to do with themselves. Um yeah, so that's my episode on dinosaur ghosts. That was a good episode. Good. I think we've all learned a lesson or two, should we ever hope to travel to Africa, yeah. that we should really be looking into how to prevent a ghost dinosaur attack. Yeah, I'm not so sure just Sage would work on that one, or a cross. I don't think Sage existed 65 million years ago. No. You might have to bring some, like, meteorite shards with you. Yeah, I don't know. As, like, a threat. I'll destroy you again. <laughs> yeah, but that's dinosaur ghosts. I hope we're all enlightened to the possibilities of dinosaurs and what they're doing being sighted around these days. And should you have your own dinosaur you wish for us to cover, please send us an email. Or if you think that you can get us in touch to actually be involved in Dinosaur Ghost PR, we'd love to talk to you. We would love that.
we could do them some favors and really highlight their beautiful thighs. Highlight and accentuate. Anyhow, I have been Taylor here with Chelsea, who is probably the most knowledgeable person on dinosaur ghosts in the world right at this moment. Yeah, I would say. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review, as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh